Good morning, Genesis. How are you doing this morning? Doing well? Good. Hey, my name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here. Two things for you. One, I have a little bit of a head cold, so I apologize if I sound a little froggy trying to get through that. Secondly, I noticed that we have a light out over here, so I'm going to kind of move my music stand over this way. So if I'm off-centered and that bothers you, I apologize, but I need light. So let there be light. Hey, today we're wrapping up a series called Unseen War. Where For the last several weeks, we've been discussing the reality of an invisible spiritual battle that rages all around us all the times. And we've learned that this battle is as real and as relevant as anything that we're going to come in contact with throughout the course of our everyday lives. In fact, this week, the New York Times released a story, and this is the headline. Vatican rolls out exorcism training course to counter rising demonic possessions. And according to this article, the Vatican says they've seen a threefold rise in the demand for exorcisms. Friar Benigno Palilla says that there are approximately 500,000 cases requiring exorcism in Italy each year. He reports that the demand is soaring in France. And Palilla blames the increase in demons on practices that open the door to the devil and to possession like seeking the advice of fortune tellers and tarot card readers. Now, you can do whatever you want with an article like that. But for the last several weeks, as we've been studying Scripture, we have learned that there is a very real invisible war, a spiritual battle, and it is as real as you and I in this room. It is as real as anything we're going to encounter throughout the course of our week. And as we've gone through this series, we've tried to answer Two basic questions. If that's true, why are we at war in the first place, right? Why is this war raging? And secondly, who's in the fight? Who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? And a couple weeks ago, we discussed the fact that God created at some point in eternity past a race of angels. And one of those angels, his name was Lucifer, and he was beautiful and he was powerful. But he was not satisfied with the beauty and the power that God had given him. He wanted more. So he led a rebellion against God. In fact, he went as far as saying, I want to be like the Most High. I want to be like God. And when that happened, he was kicked out of heaven. He was thrown down to the earth, which is tragic. That's where the battle began. But here's what's scary. He was so beautiful and he was so powerful that he was able to mislead one third of all the angels in rebelling against God And they rebelled, and they were kicked out of heaven, thrown down to the earth. And at that point, Lucifer's name was changed to Satan, which means adversary. Because he's the adversary of God's people and of God. And those fallen angels that follow him are known as demons. And if you didn't know this, they have been wreaking havoc on humanity ever since. I mean, have you watched the news lately? Do you need any evidence to see that these guys are up to no good in waging this war Against us. Now, we've also learned that there are some forces for good. There are good guys. Not all of the angels rebelled against God. Angels are powerful, supernatural beings that have been created by God, not only to worship and serve Him, but they're also sent by God to fight for and to protect us. And last week, we discussed the greatest spiritual ally and asset that we have in this battle, and that is the Spirit of God Himself, the Holy Spirit, who plays the role as counselor, helper, an intercessor for those of us that follow Jesus. Now, let's take a step back for a sec, and let's just admit, that is some pretty heavy, dark stuff, right? That's a pretty heavy, dark reality, but there's some really good news that we need to remember, and it is this. Jesus has claimed the victory 
in this war. And that is very good news. For those of us that follow Jesus, we're going to celebrate this in a month. We believe that when he walked out of his grave that day, he defeated Satan and sin and death. Their power has been broken, and that is something that we celebrate on a regular basis. Can I get an amen? Amen. Like, that just seems like something we should amen over, right? Amen, right? But here's a question for you. If that is true, and I believe that it is, but if that is true, have you ever wondered, well, if the good guys have won, then how come sin still has such a hold on the world around us? I mean, and, and not just the world, but me. Why is that? Why is that? I mean, in theory, if the struggle, if, if sin has been defeated, shouldn't the struggle be over? And why do we still battle with things like worry and anger, anxiety, doubt, and fear? I mean, shouldn't greed and lust and gossip be a thing of the past? Wouldn't it be nice if addictions were broken for us and for people that we love? I mean, parents, don't you wish your kids could catch on to this? Sin has been defeated. Sweetheart, just do what I ask you to do. Life would be so much better for you and for me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. There's an amen. What about your spouse? Hey, sin's been defeated. I'll drop all my bad habits if you drop all yours and we can live in peace, right? I mean, that would be, that'd be nice. Amen. Amen. Oh, this is awesome. I've never preached in a church like this before. I'm so excited. Here's another one for you. What about at work? What if your vision wasn't clouded with sin and all of a sudden your boss saw all of your better qualities? Amen. Hallelujah, right? I mean, it would be so nice. Students, wouldn't it be nice if you could say, I don't have to worry about what anybody else says. Peer pressure is a thing of the past. I'm just going to do what's right. And it was easy to do what was right. And the stresses of life just kind of melted away. Now, I don't know about you. I can only speak for me. But judging by the amens and the hallelujahs, I'm going to guess that you struggle with this the same way that I do. And you've probably asked the question, if the good guys have won, then why, why is this battle? Why is it still so fierce? I mean, did I miss the small print? Am I not doing something right? And if you can relate, here's some really good news. You are in great, and I mean great company. Because there was a man named Paul who is known to be the greatest Christian to ever live. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. This man is a greater Christian than Benita Wallen and Billy Graham combined. This guy has figured it out. He's the goat, okay? But even Paul, even Paul admitted that he has this struggle. He wrote a letter in the first century to a church in Rome, and listen to what he says. In Romans 7, 15, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Me too, Paul. Thank you. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that too. He goes on to say, verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. Listen to this. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now, I bet that probably sounds a lot more like everyday life. It does for me, at least. And in verse 23, he says, there is a war. There's a war in my mind. Do you ever feel like there's a sinful battle raging in your mind where your thoughts and your desires are in sharp conflict with the very things that God wants for you? And the worst part is, That battlefield, that's not out there with someone somewhere else. It's right here. And it's right here. Meaning that we are our own worst enemies most of the time. 
Now in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul defines this inner struggle, this war in our mind. He refers to it as the cravings of our flesh. Some other translations refer to that as our human or our sinful nature. The Greek word that Paul uses here for flesh is the word sodix, and it can mean our skin or our body. It can mean our physical bodies. But when Paul talks about it this way in Ephesians 2, he's referring to the part of us as humans that's weak, that's limited, and that's vulnerable to sin. When you think of your flesh, when you think of your sinful nature, think of it as the self-centered human nature that craves the very things that God wants to protect you from. It craves the very things that God wants to protect you from. Now, when I say that, does anything come to your mind? Are there any patterns or habits in your life where you find this to be true? Do you tend to think too much about yourself and not enough about others? Do you have a pattern of gossip or arrogance in your life that's unchecked? Do you struggle with pride, anger, lust, or greed? Maybe there's an addiction or a hidden sin pattern that you try to feed when you think that no one else is watching. And anytime we give in to those desires and we self, selfishly insist on living our way instead of God's, Scripture tells us that we sin. That is not a popular word in our culture. No one wants to say it. No one wants to define it. But Scripture says when we rebel against God and his ways, it's sin. Pastor John Piper explains our flesh like this. He says, our flesh doesn't want to submit to God's absolute authority or to rely on God's absolute mercy. In other words, our flesh says, I'd rather do it myself. No thanks, God. I've got this. I know better. And I don't know about you, but that hits close to home for me. And apparently it did for Paul too, because he ends Romans 7 with these words. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? In your battle with sin, do you ever find yourself feeling that way? You realize you are a wreck, and you don't know what to do about it. You know that you love Jesus, but everything in you always wants to do the very thing that he doesn't want you to do. And like Paul, you find yourself wrestling with this question. How can I win the battle within? How can I win this battle that's going on inside of me? I mean, it's very real. I can feel it. I can see how it is affecting other people around me. Is it even possible to have victory in this battle? Now, thankfully, Paul not only understood this struggle, but he also goes on to provide some practical steps that we can follow to see victory in this battle. And even though Paul ends Romans 7 with a desperate cry for help, he begins Romans chapter 8 by sharing a few simple steps that we can follow when it comes to winning this battle. If you want to follow along, we're going to go through the first few verses of Romans 8. It's on page 786 in the Bibles around the room. But this is how Paul opens Romans 8. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul says the first step, that you can take if you want to be successful and see victory in this battle within is to be in Christ. To be in Christ. Paul makes it clear that even when you are a wreck and you can't get it together, but when you put your trust in Jesus, he doesn't condemn you. When you surrender to Jesus, you're not condemned for your sins. You're saved from your sins. So if you've ever experienced a moment where you've surrendered your life to him, 
you are in him. That's a very good thing. If you've ever reached a point where you said, I believe you are exactly who you say you are. And I believe that you've done exactly what you've claimed to do and you're going to do what you've promised to do. When you surrender your life to him, you are in him. And the, whole, and the pattern in the New Testament teaches us that when that happens, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is the same Spirit of God that hovered over the uncreated world. That same Spirit is our gift and he doesn't just come to live around us. The New Testament teaches, Jesus teaches that he lives inside of us. He takes up residence in us. He wants to transform our hearts and minds to be more and more like Jesus every day. Last week we learned the Holy Spirit is, has come to be our counselor, our helper, and our intercessor. He prays for us in this battle against sin. So the first step in winning the battle is to be in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, I just have a question for you. Why not? What are you waiting for? For he makes some pretty amazing promises. And if he rose from the dead, he proved that he is who he says he is. If not, why not? And if you're curious about that, I'd be happy to talk with you when we're done today. Paul goes on in verses 5 and 6 and he says this. He lays out the next step that we can take. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, can you see how this war plays out? Paul says this is life and death. That's what's at stake here. Our flesh desires the sinful things that God wants to protect us from. And Paul says those sins lead to death. That is not just a physical death where our bodies die. It's a spiritual death where we are eternally separated from God and banished to hell. We get what we want in that moment, and that's not a good thing. But the Spirit desires the things of God that are good for us. And Paul points that this leads to life, not just physical life, spiritual life, eternal life, and peace with God. So the second step that Paul says that we can take to win the battle within is to set our mind on what the Spirit Desires. Set our mind on what the Spirit desires. Now, you can probably imagine what some of the desires of our flesh are, right? But thankfully, Paul gives us a list of these in Galatians 5. Listen to this list. Paul says, Our flesh desires things like sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And then he ends the end by just saying, And other sins like these. He could be referring to cheering for the Patriots. I don't know that for a fact. It seems like it fits on this list pretty well, right? He says, that's not the whole list, but you get the feeling like that's not a list you want to be on. And those, that's what our flesh desires. That leads to death. So here's a good question. How can I set my mind on what the Spirit desires? How do I do that? Well, in verses 7 and 8, Paul goes on to say this. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot, cannot please God. So Paul notes that not only is the mind led by the flesh hostile to God, it doesn't want to submit to God's law. Now here's a question. Where do we find God's law? How do we know what that is? Well, here at Genesis, we believe that God's law is found right here in his word. And I have some good news for you. For those of you that hear the word law, 
This isn't a list of do's and don'ts where God's just trying to trip us up and wait for us to mess up. He reveals who he is in his law. He reveals the kind of life he wants for us apart from sin. So God's law is a gift to us. So how do we set our mind on God's law? Well, we have to meditate on his word, to meditate on it. Now, I'm, I'm choosing that word meditate carefully. Not just read or study, but meditate. Some synonyms I found for meditate this week are to contemplate, to ponder, or wonder, consider, reflect, deliberate, or wrestle with. So what does it look like to meditate on God's word? Well, first you read it, and then you contemplate. What is it saying? And then you read it again, and you take time to ponder what it says and to wonder. What does that mean? And you read it again, and you consider the outcomes of living it out and the costs of ignoring it. And then you read it again, and you reflect on where it conflicts with your current way of life. And you read it again, and you deliberate with it or over it, and you wrestle with it. And when you do that, you start to see the life that God intends for us. It's not do's and don'ts. It's a life of freedom versus a life of death. Now, I'm going to be honest with you and say, I have a lot of growth to do in this area. I love reading and studying God's word with a group of people. My two favorite times of the week are Wednesday mornings when I meet with a group of men at Panera. We open up God's word and I love studying because in the moment I just feel like the words jump off the page. On Thursday nights we have people in our home. We do the same thing. We open up God's word. And in those moments I could go for hours. I just, I love it. But here's the thing. When I'm by myself, you know what I do? I tend to read it kind of quick. And then I think, uh, what do you got for me today? Okay, I'll take that. I try to put it in a filing system in my brain that does not exist. And I don't remember it. And I'm on my own all over again. But there have been occasions when I make myself slow down to absorb it. And I can honestly, honestly say that when I do that, I can feel the Holy Spirit at work within me. I'll, I will arrive at an intersection of decision during my day. And because I've been meditating on God's word, he'll say, let's try this and not that. Are you sure you want to do that? Didn't we talk about this? I mean, that's how this plays out in my mind. Now, for me, I've stumbled onto two methods that, were, that have helped me in this. One involves a three-by-five card, and the other involves a dry erase marker. And I have found that if I can write a passage of scripture on a three-by-five card, and I can put it on a wall or a mirror or someplace where I tend to stand in my home, It forces me to look at these words. I've also found that if you take a dry erase marker, a friend taught me this years ago, and write on a mirror or write on a window, it puts scripture in places where I tend to be. And so for me, this is a picture of what is happening in our house right now. Those two three by five cards are hanging on the wall of my shower. I tend to stand there and I read those words and I think about what they're saying. And sometimes I'll pray through them. And sometimes I'll say, okay, God, what's this going to look like today? This other one is our back door. If you were to walk into our house and look at our back door, look into our backyard, you would see that proverb. It's probably time to update that proverb. It's been there for a while. But we can look at that. And and here's the thing. The more I focus on those words, I'll get to places in my day, and God will say, hey, we talked about this. I thought you wanted to choose humility instead of pride. I thought you were going to trust in me and not in yourself. And that's just the Spirit leading and guiding me. Now, there's also side effects to this. When you wrestle with God's word, sometimes he will make it very clear, you are not living in obedience to this. 
And you have a decision to make. Am I going to follow the Spirit or am I going to follow my flesh? But I've also noticed that my wife and kids know where those are. Know, know where those are. They know what I'm struggling with. It's right there. It's no secret. If you want to know what's going on in my life, there it is. And we can talk about it and we can pray through it. Now, these are just a few simple things that work for me. I don't know what's going to work for you, but here's the thing. We have to be. We have to be in God's word. And if you don't know how to do that, if you've never done that before, I just want to encourage you to start reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about Jesus. And read and reread about Jesus. And then here's another thing that you can do. Join a group. We have groups that meet all throughout the week on campus and in homes to open up God's word, to study it together. Those are some good patterns that you can be involved in. And these are just simple things that we can do to keep the word of God in front of us so that we can learn to set our mind on what the Spirit desires. Listen to what Pastor Chip Ingram says on this. He says, like a sword in the hand of a soldier, meditating on God's word, God's word needs to become second nature. If you're going to have the full armor of God in this invisible war, you'll have to be a man or woman of the book. There's no way around it. That's not a legalistic requirement any more than daily nutrition is. It's just the necessity of life. And when we learn to set our minds on what the Spirit desires by meditating on God's word, we naturally will learn how to do the third st- or to take the third step that Paul tells us to take when we're, if we're going to win this battle within, and that is this: say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh. We have to learn to say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh. Now, to this point in Romans 8, Paul makes it clear there is a life and death struggle between these two things in our life. John Piper acknowledges this struggle. Listen to this quote. I love this quote. He says, A Christian is not a person who experiences no bad desires. A Christian is a person who is at war with those desires by the power of the Spirit. He goes on to say this, Conflict in your soul is not bad. Praise God for the war within. Let me say that again. Praise God for the war within because the spirit has landed to do battle with our flesh. So take heart if your soul feels like a battlefield at times. The sign of whether you are indwelt by the spirit is not that you have no bad desires, but that they are at war with you and you are at war with them. Now I find that quote to be very encouraging because the war within me is very real. I feel it. There are days when I feel like I'm winning, and there's a lot of days when I feel totally defeated. But according to Paul, this is a necessary struggle that requires us to learn to choose between gratifying the flesh or obeying the Holy Spirit. Now, I want everybody to take a a step back and just take a deep breath real quick. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? It's heavy. It hurts. It's hard to hear. But I, wanna, I want us to look at a simple tool that can help us make this practical and help us to figure out how we're living this out in our everyday lives. Paul makes it clear that there's two paths. There's the path of the flesh and there's the path of the spirit. We're going to walk down one of those two paths. And in Romans 8, 5, and 6, Paul says this. We've already looked at this verse, but hear it again. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. So both the flesh and the spirit have desires. They have things that they want to do. They have things they want us to do. And Paul makes it clear, the desires of our flesh, they are deceitful. They cannot be trusted. And Satan is a master at using our desires to lie to us and to mislead us into a place where we're going to act on them 
<clears throat> and sin against God. Now, Paul, on the other hand, says that the desires of our flesh need to be crucified. The desires of our flesh, Paul says, need to be murdered so that we can live and pursue the desires of the Spirit. And Paul outlines the desires of the Spirit by reminding us to be kind and compassionate to one another, to forgive each other just as in Christ God has forgiven us, to follow God's example and to walk in the way of love. So the flesh and the Spirit have desires, and those desires are going to lead to actions. Paul says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It, is not, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So our flesh and spirit have desires. Those desires lead to actions. And the actions of the flesh, we've already said this, it's sin. It's rebellion against God. That's exactly what Lucifer did. It's exactly what we want to do. But the acts of the spirit are righteousness. Now we do acts of righteousness not to earn God's favor. That's impossible. We do acts of righteousness so that we can actually experience the life that God wants for us through Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those desires lead to actions. Those actions lead to patterns. The longer we live down one of those two paths, we see, we see patterns develop. What kind of patterns do you suppose we develop when we live in the flesh? Habitual sins, addictions and strongholds, things that we just can't shake. By the way, do any of the habits on the side of flesh, does that make us more selfless or selfish? It's selfish. I mean, isn't it interesting? The more we feed our flesh, the more selfish we become. Do you like selfish people? I don't like selfish people, right? Nobody wants to be selfish, but when we feed our flesh, we become more and more selfish. Now you compare that to the pattern found in setting our mind on what the Spirit desires. When we learn to say yes to Him, we resist our flesh, and we should naturally become more and more selfless and others-focused, which is not easy, and it is not fun, but you know who did that really well? Jesus. The guy that we said rose from the dead and defeated sin and darkness, he was selfless in everything that he did. And our goal is to imitate his life in all that we do. So the flesh and the spirit have desires. Those desires lead to actions. Those actions lead to patterns, and those patterns have a result. Paul says the result of the flesh is death. Death, spiritual death and separation from God. But the result of the Spirit is life, eternal life with God and peace. Now let me ask you a question. If you're here and you're following Jesus and you find yourself living on the path of the flesh, does that mean that the Spirit was never in you in the first place? Does that mean that he's given up on you and is leaving you alone? Does it mean you should just give up, throw up your hands and say, I'm just going to live in the flesh? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Paul makes it clear that when we find ourselves gratifying our flesh, we ask ourselves this question, am I in Christ? Because if I am, he is in me. And then we set our minds on what he desires we say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh, and we can move from the path of the flesh to the path of the Spirit, which is point, and that brings us to point number four in living a life of victory. We need to take the next step that the Spirit desires. If we find ourselves gratifying the flesh, just ask yourself a question. What's the next thing that the Spirit would want me to do? 
Now, the biblical term for this is repentance. And repentance simply means turning away from God or turning away from sin and turning to God. You turn away from sin, you turn to God. It's doing a U-turn, right? When you realize you're walking, if you were walking down a path where you knew you were going to die, what would you do? You would say, I don't want to go that way anymore. And you're going to turn around and you're going to walk back towards safety. That's all repentance means. So, if you find yourself living on the path of the flesh and you're fighting with your spouse, what's the next thing the Spirit would want you to do? Do you think he's going to say, it's okay, you can punch him now? They deserve it. I heard what they said. I know. I was there. Go for it. That's not in his character. He's not going to say that. He's going to ask you to do the next right thing. He's going to lead you into what that is. If you are blowing up with your kids, again, they've pushed all of your buttons. Do you think the Spirit's going to say, they've done it 10 times. I was there. Body slam them. It's, this is clearly time for a body slam, right? He's not going to say that. It's not in his character. He's going to tell you the next right thing to do. You know what's funny is, I don't have to tell you what it is. He's going to tell you. It might be different for you or for me, but you're going to know in the moment. And then the rubber's going to meet the road. This is front line in this invisible battle. Students, kids, when you're disobeying your parents, what's the next thing the Spirit would want you to do? When you bend on your integrity at work, when you stumble into lust or greed, what's the next thing the Spirit is going to want you to do? Paul refers to this lifestyle as staying in step with the Spirit. He ends his letter to the church in Galatia by saying this on two occasions. Galatians 5.16, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on to say this in verse 25, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step means I don't get ahead of the Spirit and I don't get behind the Spirit. I stay in step with Him. And what this looks like is a lifestyle of repentance. When we realize we're walking down a bad path, we turn back. And if we realize we're walking down that path again, we turn back. Paul says this in Romans 8, 6, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The word death, the Greek word there is thanatos. And it can mean a literal death. It can mean a spiritual death. But here's what's interesting. It can also mean, get this, a miserable death. Life. And I think some of us are here experiencing a miserable life for one of two reasons. We are either not in Christ. We have never confessed him as Lord and Savior and experienced the peace that he provides through his spirit. And that's a miserable life. No surprise there. But those of us that are followers of Jesus, we might be experiencing a miserable life because the spirit lives in us, but we're just doing this. I'm good. I don't need your help. I'm just going to keep doing it my way, right? I'd rather do it my way. And it, that's miserable. That's a miserable existence. And Paul says, don't be surprised by that. So here's my question. Where are your feet? What path are you on? And how are you going to gratify the spirit instead of the flesh? Now, we can do this. It would be nice if we were robots and the spirit would just come inside of us and say, I've got the controls now. Just follow me, right? I wish it worked that way. But this is where we get into the battle. In our families, our kids, our integrity, our lives are at stake. Let's be people that walk in the Spirit and crucify our flesh. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I love your word, and I believe it to be true 
And way back in Genesis 3, we see this battle with sin. You you said, hey, you're free to eat from everything. Just don't eat from this one tree because if you do, you're going to die. You didn't threaten. It was just a promise. You said, if you disobey me, there there will be death. And even when we chose death over life, you came and pursued us and you promised to send Jesus. I thank you. That's the whole story. The whole, all of scripture is built on this. When is this savior gonna come and how's he gonna save us? We get a picture of this. You sacrificed an animal and shed blood to provide clothes for Adam and Eve to give us a picture of what you would do with your son, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He would die on a cross. He would bleed on our behalf. But it didn't stop there. You sent the gift of your Holy Spirit, not just to live around us, but to live in us. Would you help us to be people, Holy Spirit, to get out of the way and to follow your lead, to live our lives so dramatically different that people would say, you're weird, I don't get it, what is it? We can say, oh, it's, it's Jesus and it's his spirit living inside of me. And people would begin to follow you because of our influence led by the spirit. We need your help. Our minds set on the flesh are death. Our minds set on the spirit are life and peace. We want to experience that life and peace. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, today we're going to end a little differently. We're not going to end with a closing song. You guys are free to go. Here's what I want you to know. Next week, we're going to kick off a brand new series. It's called My Way Back. And we're going to learn how to tell our story in such a way that we can share our faith and draw people to Jesus. Also, next week is bad time change week. We lose an hour of our life next week, okay? But we want to make it fun. We're going to have pancakes before services, okay? So amen. So come hungry. Come ready for some carbs. I'm glad I'm not preaching next week because everybody's going to be napping. It's going to be a blast. You are free to go. Thanks for being here. Go and live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.